Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We're coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College. Here at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range in northwest Montana, my favorite mountain range, I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. In the Nature Journal, we focus on the critters and quirks of nature found on the campus, the wide surrounding flatted basin, and all across Montana. Our producer is Colin Burkhardt, an employee here at the FVCC Library. And thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today we're going to have an exciting show on geysers, and we're welcoming Adam Wentz, who is a chemistry professor here at Flathead Valley Community College and expert on geysers. Adam, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me, John. Now, you have your graduate degree from Montana Tech in geochemistry, and that, that kind of suits you pretty well for the study of geysers, right? Yes, it does, uh, with the quality of the water, the chemistry, and all the related information that goes with that. So let's tell folks, first of all, what a geyser is. Now, it's a vent in the Earth's surface that ejects a column of hot water and steam up into the air. How does that work? So with a geyser, you have to have heat, you have to have a water supply, and then you have to have this plumbing system below the ground. And so the water comes in below ground. It's, it's actually hotter than the natural boiling point of water because it's at a higher pressure. Mm. You raise the pressure on the water, it boils at a higher temperature. And so... The water gets into that plumbing system, it gets heated up to a point where it starts actually boiling a little bit below the surface, and then it pushes a little bit of water out the top at the surface, and then that allows more boiling to take place at depth, and it pushes that column of water out of the vent. And the whole reason it works is the properties of water, right? Because you've got water as steam is much more voluminous than water, liquid water, so it just forces its way up and shoots into the air. And this is a very rare condition, right, mm -hmm. that this happens. Tell us about that, what is required for a geyser. Okay. You have to have the heat source, you have to have a water source, but you also have to have the right type of rock that you can pull the minerals out of. And so the right type of rock is called rhyolite. Hmm. And rhyolite and granite are the same, chemically speaking. It's just that granite has very large crystals that you can see with the naked eye. Rhyolite doesn't have as big a crystal, so it's a different volcanic setup. And so there aren't that many places on the earth that rhyolite exists and has all these other things to make the geysers. And so inside that plumbing system, the plumbing system is lined with this geyserite, this silica-based mineral, and it allows pressure to build up within the plumbing system. And that allows for the geyser to exist versus say a hot spring or something else. And you know, just looking at it as a layman, so this geyser erupts when this superheated water becomes hot enough to blast its way to the surface, we talked about the steam having higher volume than liquid water, and that forces the liquid water up into the air as steam. So I assume that if you touch the water or steam coming out of the geyser, it would be very hot, right? It would be superheated. Mm -hmm. Superheated, definitely above 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit for those that like Fahrenheit. That's hot. Very hot. <laughs> and so you, every once in a while you hear about people getting burned in hot springs or geysers because they get too close, right? Absolutely. There are incidents every year where somebody does something they shouldn't. <laughs> That's true in everything, isn't it? So there's only about a thousand geysers, give or take, on earth. Uh, most of them are in Yellowstone, right? How many are in Yellowstone, roughly? 500, roughly, is what wow. they believe right now, currently speaking. Uh, what are the other countries in the world that have geysers? So New Zealand has them, Iceland, Chile, and then the Kamchatka Peninsula in Russia. And that one was recently somewhat covered by a mudslide, right? It mm -hmm. was, 
So they're a very tenuous thing and a very rare thing. So if we believe the story of John Coulter finding it, he was finding something that was one of the rarest things on earth. Absolutely. If that worked out. So the duration of these geysers when they erupt, they can be just a few minutes or an hour or more. And Old Faithful, it erupts for about two to five minutes, right? And it it, mm-hmm. it goes off, what, every 60 to 90 minutes? What controls the periodicity? And this maybe you don't know. What controls the periodicity of a, of a geyser? Basically, it's how quickly the hot water gets replenished and also gets heated. And so you can have the plumbing system full of water, but if it's not hot enough, it's not going to boil and cause the eruption. So with Old Faithful, it must have a fairly regular water source. It must come in at a fairly regular rate and be heated at a fairly regular rate because if if you've ever been to Old Faithful, it's sitting there kind of by itself. There really aren't many other springs in that direct vicinity. There are some across the river from the Firehole River, but right there, Old Faithful is not directly connected to a lot of those springs. Some it is, but it doesn't have a lot of competition for that water source, Hmm. essentially. I never thought of it that way. And there is a basin with a lot of hot springs and geysers right near Old Faithful, Mm -hmm. but right where it is itself, yeah. And I, this is a good example of what Theodore Roosevelt said about natural areas. He, he talked about the Grand Canyon, and he said, every American should see the Grand Canyon. I would say the same thing about Old Faithful. I mean, it's in, in the Geyser Basin. It's so incredible. When you think about it, how far you'd have to travel to see anything like it. It's just a place that everybody should go there, right? And you've taken your kids there. And... Absolutely. We've <laughs> taken many vacations there. I'd, I'd love to go every year if I could. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of those natural phenomenons that, as Roosevelt said, we live in America. We should take advantage of it. And a little more about Old Faithful. I remember when I was there in, in 2019 or 20, 2018. Is that right? I don't know. But anyway, I was there around 2018 or 2019. And I was just amazed that it had a, a list, like a board, and it would say when the next eruption is. It was that regular and it was right on the money every time. And we just stayed there. When we were there, we probably stayed there maybe four or five hours just watching every eruption because it was just so fascinating. Everyone was a little different. Mm-hmm. And incredible numbers of people there that were watching this. This was in June of 2018 or so. And it was just a huge, huge public display, I guess. People hear about Old Faithful, and that's the main geyser they think of when they think of Yellowstone. And so that's why you see all of these people gathered around. That's why they have that huge viewing area. For yeah. it. It's a perfect place to have it, yeah. actually. I think we ate our lunch and our dinner sitting there watching that, that, that geyser erupt. So so it erupts every 60 to 90 minutes, Old Faithful, and it blasts uh, oh, about a few thousand gallons of boiling hot water, 100, 200 feet in the air. And it was named in the 1800s, little changed really since then. But in the 13 to 1400s, didn't erupt. How do they know it didn't erupt? Well, there's a couple of ways they could do that. They could look at the minerals, the geyserite or sinter. It's the silica-based mineral that the geysers lay down. And it forms layers, much like the rings on a tree. And they could look at how thick or thin those layers are over time. They also, if there was any wood uh, trapped, entombed within the deposits, they could also do radiocarbon dating on it and and get an estimate of how old that was. Okay. Yeah, they figured the 1300s and the 1400s, it did not erupt. And one of the things that is pretty exciting is, tell us about Steamboat Geyser. Steamboat Geyser is, at the moment, the largest geyser in the world. It'll shoot water up over 300 feet, sometimes almost to 400 feet. I was fortunate enough to be at one of its large eruptions in either 2018 or 2019. I can't remember which summer Mm -hmm. it was. And we got there, and it was later in the stages of the eruption, and you could hear the roar from a couple of miles away. It was that amazing. It was just steam. By that time, it was just steam erupting to at least 100, 150 feet. Wow. 
But to have a geyser that big, it has always amazed me just how much water that involves to do that, how much heat, how deep the plumbing is. It's, it's always fascinated me since I was a kid. Now, Steamboat is an example of one that was dormant for a while, and then it started erupting. Why? Why would they go dormant and then start erupting again? So when you have the plumbing system underneath, you have that hot water. That hot water will dissolve some of the silica out of the volcanic rocks, and that travels along. And as the water cools, it can't hold that silica any longer. So it might be sealing up some of those Mm. passageways. And that can affect how much water is coming in. You can also have earthquakes that occur over time where it changes the path of the water flow. So maybe it isn't flowing as much towards Steamboat. The heat has to always be there. So that the heat probably is not going to be available. But I think the availability of water to cause the eruption is the biggest thing. You know, that brings me to ask you this. Has anyone ever, do they study these geysers down into the earth where they originate? Have they put sensors down there or is it hands off and they can't study it? It's very difficult to study the plumbing system of a geyser, but Old Faithful has been studied. Hmm. I don't remember how recently, I'd say within the last 20 to 30 years, but they have been able to stick a probe down there with a camera of some sort. And they have gone down... I want to say just shy of 50 feet into Old Faithful's plumbing. The nice thing about Old Faithful is it has a fairly vertical open, Hmm. not an open shaft, but just a fairly straight line downward, whereas a lot of those, they're so convoluted, it's very hard to follow. (laughs) And you can see things in that they saw a large cavern, probably the size of a car, like an open cavern Hmm. down there with water rushing into Hmm. it. Uh, They saw little crevices with water coming out, and they could hear water coming from somewhere below. They couldn't see it because their probe wasn't long enough to Mm. do that. But one other thing they found that is important for geysers is there was a very narrow constriction, like a four-inch wide constriction. Think of it like a bottleneck. So Mm -hmm. where those steam bubbles start forming below, Mm. they get bottlenecked at that point until they shoot out. Until the water is pushed out and then it starts the eruption. Now there's a couple of examples like there's a list of about t- the 24 most prominent geysers in Yellowstone, and it talks about giant and giant chests being spectacular, but they haven't erupted in eight years or so, which is kind of sad. So it's not a fixed thing. When you go to Yellowstone, you may see the geysers that you're expecting, and there may be some that aren't. Paint pots, uh, those are fascinating to watch, too, and hot springs, but they're a lot different than geysers, right? They don't have this plumbing system that shoots it up into the air. So your favorite geyser then is Steamboat? That is correct. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Red Lodge, which is basically just over the mountain from Yellowstone, and we would always go to Yellowstone, and not, not every summer, but frequently, and I always read about Steamboat Geyser in these various books I had, and I always wanted to see it erupt, and I had seen small eruptions of it, which are more common than the huge ones, but finally in 2018 when we were family seeing it I kind of my bucket list was to see it have a major eruption so I was very lucky and very excited at that time. Well Adam we'll have to have you on again because there's so much more to talk about and we didn't really get into Coulter's hell and Mm -hmm. Coulter finding the geysers and, and so on but what a fascinating topic so thanks a lot for coming on. You're very welcome thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley and I'll see you next week.